Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Here's San Francisco and the incomparable forward, Rick Barry. Behind the end line, they burn him again, and it's Barry. And now Rick Barry, the league's leading scorer. What a superb basketball player he is. Hi, everybody. Rick Barry here on Warriors 24 with my partner in crime. That's right. The surf man himself, Cyrus Satches. <laughs> by the way, I'm still working on trying to get Brent to get on your, uh, your, your show. Thank you, sir. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to you because we're doing something a little bit different today. So I'm going to let Cyrus take it and do the intro. And here we go. Oh, yeah. And, and so what we're doing today is we're going to be joined in just a moment with the folks from Warriors Huddle. Bram uh, is the primary host. And Rick and I are literally just going to do a joint podcast. We're going to talk about everything that's going on in the world, the NBA and the Warriors and beyond. So enjoy. You are the Warriors are with me, Bram, with me per usual, my producer, Marcus. What's up, Dub Nation? And our master of all things sound, Maxi. How's it going? Boys, huge day today. I couldn't be more excited to announce that joining us for the first time are the co-hosts of the Warriors 24 podcast, or more specifically, a former host, anchor, creative director, and executive producer for sports radio stations like KNBR, The Mighty 1090, ESPN 1700, an award-winning journalist for the San Francisco Chronicle, USA Today, and Sports Illustrated, and a man who was foolish enough to agree to a joint podcast with us, Mr. Cyrus Satez. What's going on, Cyrus? I wasn't foolish at all. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, you say that now. Give us about a half hour. You'll be regretting <laughs> this. Uh, also joining us, a 25-year vet of the ABA and the NBA, where he excelled against generational stars like Bill Russell, Oscar Robinson, and Will Chamberlain, a five-time All-NBA First Team member, an eight-time NBA All-Star, the to lead the NC2A, ABA, and NBA in scoring for a season, and a man who was voted as one of the top 50 players to have ever touched a basketball in the NBA, Mr. Rick Barry. What's going on, Rick? Well, thank you very much, but I have to make a correction to you. I, it wasn't 25 years that I played. I wish that was the case because if I could have lasted <laughs> 25 years, they probably would have had three more zeros on my contract. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't tell you how badly I'm sweating now, Rick. I practiced that opened for like half an hour. I researched it for multiple weeks and I screwed it up by the second word. So my apologies, man. A little embarrassing for me. No, it's no, no big deal. I mean, I wish I could have played for 25 years because <laughs> I loved the game and it was very difficult for me to have to give it up. I mean, I didn't want to give it up when I did because amazingly, as much money is out there and what's happened to the NBA on a worldwide basis, back in 1980, the NBA cut their rosters from 12 to 11 to save money. How's that? 12 oh, to 11. And if it had not been for that fact, I would have played with the Boston Celtics. I already talked to them. I had an agreement to leave. Oh. My contract was up with the, with the uh, Rockets. And I would have gone to play with Bird and McHale and Parrish and those guys. Jesus. And I think uh, that would have been awesome because I had my knee scoped at the end of my last season there in 1980 with the Rockets. And the doctor found a big piece of calcium that was bigger than a silver dollar wedged in the back of my knee. And he said, Rick, how the hell did you play with this in there? I said, I didn't know it was there. <laughs> and uh, for the first time in 10 years, I actually had no pain. I could sleep through the night. I could sit down in a movie theater or on an airplane and not have to straighten my leg out uh, to alleviate the, the discomfort. And <clears throat> so and that summer when I ran my fantasy, my basketball fantasy camp, I ran my regular basketball camp at that time. 
up at Sonoma State in California, I had a lot. I had, I remember it was Marcus Johnson, and I think it was also, um, trying to think of the other one that joined me, another Phoenix Sun player uh, joined me, Walter Davis joined me, and both of those guys were young guys in their prime, and we would scrimmage at halftime with the counselors and all just for the kids to get a chance to watch, and I absolutely lit those guys up. I hadn't felt that good in 10 years, and never and never played never played again in the pros. I went on a tour overseas with Pete Maravich and Phil Jackson, Bobby Dandridge, a bunch of guys, and we had a great time on that trip, but uh, but I never played again, and so, yeah, I wish I could have played another, another uh, 10 years. I will. Bram, that, Bram, that was a glowing introduction, though. I, I don't think I've, I don't, I've heard anyone introduce Rick in a more finer well, way. So. I, do we really want to bust his chops a little bit, though, Cyrus? I'll take it. Well, you mispronounced Cyrus his last name. I, and that one I had no idea. I, I should have asked you before the mic okay. went hot. And, and Rick, let me illustrate some more embarrassing things about me just to ask this question. So I'm, I'm neurotic. You will see that over and over again through today's podcast. And let me give you an example. If, if that had happened to me, I mean, I, I know about your career, you were a you know, top 50 player. If, if I had put up your kind of stats and then had to stop playing and then watch today's stars make the kind of money that I was unable to, I'd be bitter. I'd be upset about it. Are you as unhealthy as I am? Like When you watch today's uh, stars, does that stick in there at all? No, I'm not bitter about it. I'm just I'm grateful that you know some of my children have had the opportunity to benefit with sure. all of the things that I helped pave the way for. So that was great. Uh, no, I, I'm not. It's just what kills me is that what some of these teams do by the pa- the talent that they pick and they pay guys these outrageous sums who can't play worth a damn. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Cyrus? Give us a sense of your personality. Are you closer to me or Rick? If this happened to you, would you be pissy somewhere? I I I feel like one of the great reasons or one of the big reasons why Rick and I get along is I think we are similar in terms of our outlook in many regards. Um, so I, I maybe it would be a little more bitter. I don't know. I don't know what Rick's finances are. Like, if I was broke, I'd be pissed. I'd be a bitter human being. If I was okay financially, if I was secure in that regard, then I'd probably have the same sentiments. Yeah, fair enough. Well, it's the perfect transition. So, how would you feel, Bram? Like, so you'd be upset? You'd be eggy? Oh, constantly. Um, every <laughs> single. So, I would never tell anybody. If somebody actually asked me how I felt about it, I would say something along the lines of, "I'm so proud of these guys. I'm glad that I was one of the trailblazers. I opened up the possibilities." But yeah. behind closed doors with a couple of beers in me, oh my God, I would be hell of bitter. I would be, I'd be like backstabbing people. I, I'm just not that good of a person. It is what it is. And I got to ask, Cyrus, how do I say your last name? Stotzes. And don't worry about mispronouncing it. Rick is one of the few people on this planet who gets it right. I don't fault people <laughs> for butchering that. So. Uh, well, I will say that this serves as a good transition. So the, the league is set to return. I've got a lot of questions for both of you guys about how you think it's going to unfold. But I would be crazy if I didn't, Rick, ask you some things about your career. Um, And let me give you another admission. I I pretend to be a media member on this show. I'm not. I'm a Warriors fan. I've been a Bram, you are, dude. You, you, I've seen you on Twitter. That's part of the media. In this day and age, that's that's part of the media. You, you've got a strong presence there. Well, then, then I'll, I'll say I'm a biased media member because Fair I'm enough. a straightforward Warriors fan. I, I'm not only aware of your accomplishments, Rick, I rooted for them. Um, and so I've got a few things I wanted to ask you. And let me start here. So when you look back, and on this question, Rick, I had the number right. When you look back at the 15-year historic career you had, I can't believe I had this one right. Um, but when you look back on all the things you accomplished, NBA, ABA, you know, winning Rookie of the Year, uh, averaging 40 points in the 67 finals, getting into the Hall of Fame, 
when you look back, what moments stick out? Not favorite moments, just things that spring to mind initially when you think about your career. Well, just grateful that I was fortunate enough to play on a couple of championship teams, but I also remember the bad things. I also remember two pick and roll plays in the 1967 finals against the great 76ers team with Will Chamberlain and Billy Cunningham and, and Luke Jackson. And they had uh, Hal Greer, uh, Larry Costello. And if those two pick and roll plays between Nate Thurman and myself against Will Chamberlain gone our way, we would have won in six games. So, that sticks out in my craw. And then I remember game seven against Phoenix at the Oakland uh, Alameda County Coliseum before it was Oracle and losing in game seven when we gave away a game down in Phoenix uh, and they changed the rule in the NBA because of what happened in that game. And so that would have cost us a, ch- that cost us a chance to go and play Boston in the finals. There's no doubt in my mind we would have beaten Boston. Rick, what was the rule? Yeah, that's the same What happened is, is that we were down there playing. So they come down, they make a basket. We have a lead. Okay. So we have a two point lead. I mean, a one point lead. And I run down to go and get the ball. It's going to be thrown to me in bounds. They have to foul us because it's late in the game. The game's almost over in the last minute of the game. So if they foul me, I'm going to make two free throws. We're up three. They don't have a three point shot. They're in trouble, right? They come down. Well, now we take a timeout, which I, I didn't want a timeout. So we took a timeout. We set up the play to get the ball to me in bounds, which we do. My teammate, I won't mention his name, uh, gets the ball to me. And they intentionally go over and foul him out of bounds to put him at the free throw line. And so he misses one of the free, he misses the free throws. And, for, and they come down and Keith Erickson hits a long shot. Now we're down one with just a few seconds to go in the game. We call a timeout. We run a play. I'm coming off a triple staggered screen with Clifford Ray setting the last screen. Uh, or actually just being the last person that I use as a screen, because Cyrus knows I have a whole thing about that. You don't ever set anything as a screen. It's the worst terminology ever in the history of the game. <laughs> and anyway, so I come off and I'm wide open. And unfortunately, uh, Phil Smith, our rookie, uh, doesn't throw it to me because Jamal Wilkes, who was uh, Keith Wilkes at the time, another rookie, rookie of the year, passes it to Jamal in the corner. And, uh, and, and I still call him Jamal because that's who he is today. But at that time, Keith, winds up getting his shot partially touched by Gar Hurd, and we wind up losing that game. So if we win that game, I mean, it, there isn't a game seven, and we go to the finals again. And So that was one of the biggest disappointments in my career, but that's one of the things that stick out. And I have other things to do. I mean, two things that happened in my career that are always very meaningful to me. Actually, there's three things that pop into my head all the time. Number one is that I think I still have the record for the most assists by a forward. In the, in the game. I had 19 assists and it was on the road in Chicago. And I figured I'd tell everybody, well, I'm sure that more than likely I had 20 or more because I'm sure that this, the statistician there screwed me out of at least a couple. <laughs> and, uh, and then the other one is that is that I got 25 rebounds in a game against the 76ers with Luke Jackson and uh, Wilt Chamberlain as the two big men on the other team and had 25 rebounds in a game. And then uh, the other one that I remember so much is just one that it was a play that I made and it's not that I remember these things, right? They're just, I mean, there are, I'm just joking. Of course, they're so vivid in my mind. Yeah, right. So we're playing at the Coliseum and our court runs basically north-south and our benches was on the north side of it. And so the ball gets knocked loose and kind of everybody's down there and the ball is running. Everybody's kind of down the court and knocks something away. And as we were doing pressing, the ball's rolling towards the south end on the far left side of the court. 
and I run to go get it if we do it. And I see Phil Smith take off down the left wing going towards our basket. And I ran to the ball. I bent over and like a football center, I took the ball and hiked it with two hands through my legs and just threw it back out there. And it happened to be absolutely perfect at the height and everything at the left side of the rim and Phil caught it and dunked it. I could probably try to do that for the rest of my life and never make that play. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how impressed I am with the detail of your memory. I couldn't describe with the type of specificity you're describing these stories what happened to me like five minutes ago, Rick. So I'm, I'm oh, very I'm, impressed. I'm sorry for you because you're in big trouble if you ever get dementia. You're going to be gone fast. I'm, uh, not sure I, <laughs> I'm not sure I don't already have it. I screwed up Cyrus's name and your career numbers. So uh, you know, <laughs> who knows? Um, but, but I tell you what, what sprang to mind, what I would love to hear your inside view on, and this is, this is super random, um, but Warrior fans may remember that we weren't always in love with Joe Lacob in this current dynasty. There was a moment, and in fact, Rick, you were on the floor standing next to him when Joe Lacob got booed. It was right after the Monte Ellis trade was announced, and you know, fans didn't handle it with that much class. I would love to hear, what, what do you remember about that night? What was your perception? Well, it was actually Chris Mullins' Jersey retirement night. That's right, the thing right. that yeah. was so absurd that these people would take that particular moment to, I don't know, to let their displeasure with Joe Lakeup making that decision to let Monte Ellis go and keep Steph Curry to do it during Chris Mullins night. And that's right. the point. And so I wasn't standing next to him. I actually got up and took the damn mic away from him. What are you, what are you doing? Yeah. What is wrong with you people? Come on, show some class in doing everything. I mean, this, this is, you know, I mean, it was Chris's night. And I said, you know, this man has, has put his money up and is trying to bring a winning team to you. Give the man a chance for heaven's sake. I mean, so there was only a few thousand of the younger fans. I think that were out there that were doing that. And obviously it turned out pretty darn good within a very short number of years. I mean, they wind up winning, you know, championship after 40 years of, of, of dismay and, and disappointment on the part of, uh, of the, for the fans. And it, it just was, it was a disservice to Chris and I was really upset about it. And of course the typical thing about when I do stuff, because I'm always brutally honest, as I've told, and Cyrus knows my stories. My wife said, honey, whatever goes into your brain doesn't necessarily have to come out of your mouth. You've got to put a filter on. And I, so I've learned to get a little bit of a filter in my old age. But in, in that situation, it was just so wrong on so many levels. But it turned out for me to be very prophetic. And, and I did the right thing. But the media, just I'm just some kind of a target. I think they have a picture of me on dartboards uh, that they love to throw because they just pick out you know, a lot of the writers, you know, get on my case. Yeah, Rick Barry got up there, did this, you know, and, and they're berating me for doing what I did. And so then, anyway, but that's the kind of stuff that I've learned to live with. I tell you what, you know, and if you look back, hindsight's twenty twenty. I bet you it would be pretty hard to find a single person who would actually admit that they booed that night. You know, now that we're on the other side of a dynasty and that he literally took 40 years of losing and turned it on its head, it turns out that maybe that booing was a little unjustified, to say the least, right? Yeah, and I think I think people, first of all, that was nearly 40 years of frustration that I think was kind of let out all at once because the Chris Cohan era ended. I think there was relief across the board when he finally was out. And then Joe Lake pulls this trade that was not very popular. So I think it was just a, it was just an implosion. It was just a, a huge, a huge hodgepodge of just frustration that exploded at that moment. Rick, 
I think most people soon after that fact realized how correct you were. I don't, I don't think there was much backlash towards you. Maybe at that exact moment, they weren't the happiest. But immediately after, I think people realized, hey, Rick was doing the right thing because we have an owner of Dynasty here, you know? So, yeah, but that is a crazy moment, reality. though. And here's the thing. I, I was doing the right thing, not because of, of Joe Lacob, you know, and, and because it was the right thing to do because it was a disservice to Chris Mullen. Yeah, of course. And, and, that, and the fans who were in that building probably owned enough Run TMC gear to kill a small horse. And, exactly. and yet, you know, and yet literally did not understand the man and the legacy that they were disrespecting by bullying. Yeah. Um, there, I, one, one more thing I want to add to that, though. I think part of the frustration as well was towards Lacob um, for the fact that he was even speaking. Because like you said, Rick, that, that night... That night was, yeah, that night was supposed to be for Chris Mullen and, and Joe Lacob was giving like this huge long speech, making a lot of it about himself and the team. And I think that's part of the reason why people were booing at that moment. But it, I, I think mostly it was just frustration. Yeah, I'd love your take on that, Rick, because I'll admit. So I, I, I was there. I was there that evening. No, no, no. Hey, Joe, uh, Joe, Cyrus, I'm sorry. That was not the case. They booed him as soon as he got the microphone, man. Oh, did they? <laughs> oh, my God. And then they stopped and people did it. And then and even Chris got up and said something and they still did it. Then I, I remember that up there. I mean, no. I remember that. I mean, it was, uh, no, it was just bullshit what the fans did. The ones that booed, the ones that booed should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah. It just, I'm not it defending them. But courteous. It was so wrong on so many levels. Yeah, well, I mean, what we have now is objective reality. There's nothing to argue about anymore. I mean, they very literally have the, you know, uh, go-to franchises in the NBA. And before he was here, we were a cellar dweller. So there's not a whole lot to argue about. But I'll tell you what, let me push this in a different direction. And it's a random question, Rick, but I'd love your take on it. Who is the best trash talker you ever faced? Hmm. I really never had trash talkers. I mean, that, that was never. That's a no, that's a that's a new thing that came about with the different people and the different generations and stuff and all. But there really weren't when I played and all there weren't even a lot of trash talkers. Huh. Seriously. Oh, then uh-huh. how about an intimidating enforcer? Not someone you were actually into. Oh, there were guys out there to knock you on your ass. Yeah, that's what I do. Okay, so so if you had to pick one guy, you know, and again, not that you're intimidated by it, but someone who you saw coming up and you're like, you know, we've got to play this guy tonight. I'm going to be covered in bruises. Anybody like that? Well, the, the there were two guys, actually, that were two guys that I would never take my eye off playing, but they weren't in the NBA. It was when I was in the ABA, and that was a guy named John Brisker who picked the place for the Pittsburgh Condors. And then uh, the other one who played for the Memphis Tams, Wendell Ladner, who wound up playing for the Nets in the, when they were back into the NBA, who got killed in an airplane crash. Uh, those two guys were nuts. Why? Why? Do you, well, what, they were just nuts. I mean, they were just crazy. They, I mean, <laughs> my God. I mean, they, they got in fights. I tell you what, Brisker wound up getting killed over, I think it was in Africa. Jesus. He became a mercenary. A wow. hired gun, hired gun, and went over and got killed in Africa. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I have nothing to say to that. My God! Yeah. <laughs> and so that's a guy. That, and then when the ladder, you never know if he'd go off and everything. He was kind of, you know. You, so, so I, I never, never took my eye off of either one of those guys to make sure I always knew where the hell they were. <laughs> Rick, who's the who's the first guy that that the mercenary? What's his name? Uh, John Brisker. I gotta look this guy up, John yeah, Brisker. Look this guy up. I know we, one time I think we need he to got do a documentary about him. Yes. Well, he got into an altercation in front of Three River Stadium, the new stadium there, and everything. So this is what I heard. I don't know, and, but he was there, and it took like five or six cops to subdue him. I mean, I, I would tell you right 
Now, Rick, you have completely changed what I consider to be an enforcer. You know, like I look back and like the Charles Oakleys of the world, like the people who, who I watched growing up, and none of them went on to kill people for money. You know, so like really, if, if mercenaries- no, They're, 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 they're ranked amateurs. Those guys you're thinking about are ranked amateurs. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's no question at all. Nobody paid Oak to go overseas and brandish a, uh, an AK-47. Yeah, um, no, no, no. There was guys that were, you know, going to toughen. Walt Bellamy was somebody always had a watch. He was he was kind of very physical and did a lot of things. He used to stick his knee out if you try to come off a screen, some bullshit stuff like that. And, about, uh, you know, Tommy Heinsohn was tough. And then, you know, I never played mm -hmm. against him because he was off the Celtics by the time I got in the league. It was Jungle Jim Lufskatov for the Celtics. Jesus, uh, what a name. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> I mean, my God. Is there anybody in today's game that could have been that kind of a figure when you were playing, you know, that, that could have been a mercenary, I mean, not a mercenary specifically, but who you think was tough enough, um, you know, or shows you that he's tough enough now where he could have been tough. There's not a lot of really super tough guys here. If I tell, we joke around talking to guys about stuff. If I played today, the way that they call fouls, I'd probably shoot 15 free throws a game. I mean, I used to go across the lane and get the <laughs> kicked out of me and no fouls are ever called, you know, getting forearm shivs and all kinds of other stuff. You used to play with guys who ride you with their hand on your hips and stuff. And I mean, it's, this is, it's a different game today. It's uh it's very different and in some ways it's good and other ways it sucks. I mean, it really does. Some of the stuff that goes on, what the officials allow to take place is, is ludicrous. Uh, the traveling that takes, the carrying of the basketball that takes place, the moving screens that take place. I watch the games and I just want to throw up sometimes. I, I'm watching. So this is me speaking, not Rick or anybody else. But when I watch uh, Harden, for example, it's like watching somebody who's found some kind of an outlier in the rules and is taking advantage of it, but yes. in the process is ruining the game. It's like if we all sat down to play Monopoly and I read the rules really closely and came up with something that allowed me to just roll the dice every single time and you guys never got to play. You know, like maybe it's it's fair because I've read the rules, but it's ruining the actual experience. No, no, no. He's so breaking, they're breaking the rules and the rules are not being enforced. That's the yes. problem. It's not exactly. like we found some kind of a loophole or something of that nature. The problem is the officials do not call the game according to the rule book. Why do you think that is? What's shifted? I don't know. I, I don't understand it. It's very distressing to me because I was a purist. I tried to play the game according to the rules, and I was able to beat my men doing things according to the rule book. Right. Hell, if I could learn how to do it and carry the ball and take an extra half a step or more, right. I mean, sometimes some of the things that happen are so ridiculous that it's almost inconceivable to me that an official can't possibly make the call and is not blowing his whistle. I mean, some of the extra steps i mean it's just it's so pathetic at times that i i don't I, I just don't know i just don't understand why the nba and the head of the officials is not demanding that they call the game according to the rules for heaven's sake you know that's why the whole thing i said earlier about the setting the screens there's no such thing and even you hear the coaches i mean i hear jeff van gundy when he's doing his color analysts well he didn't set a very good screen well hell you don't set diddly squat when you're a player you don't set a screen. All you do is put yourself in a stationary position. It's my responsibility as an offensive player to set my man up and run my man into you and make you a screener. But you don't Brent. do anything. You don't do anything except freaking keep your ass there without moving. And Bram, I want I, I agree with you 100% in terms of your sentiments. Uh, James Harden to me is a player that if they implemented playground rules, he would not thrive. Right. I mean, he relies so much on those free throws and so much on those refs bailing him out 
that if you played on asphalt, I don't know how much he would excel. I, I, don't, I think he would just be average among a group of NBA players. He's the kind of player, if he played on asphalt, he would try to take free throws there. You know? <laughs> I, mean, like, I mean, it was just like, what the hell is happening here? Hey, all I could tell you is, is that the I would say probably 50% or more of the times that when I would go drive in to do something, if, if there was anybody around doing things, I probably had to pick myself up off the court to go shoot. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I, I really do wonder. I, I wish, and I don't know how this could ever happen, um, but I'd love to sit down just as you just set up, Rick, and ask the league, ask the officials, why have you changed this? What's the upside? Well, they I mean, is, that's is, maybe one of the reasons why I'm not getting a broadcasting job again. Because <laughs> I'm not because I would be all over that if I was doing it and talking about it and I would make a big deal about it and bring it to the attention of right. all of the fans. And then maybe the NBA would open up their eyes and start calling things the way that they should be calling because it's ludicrous. I, one time I counted, I remember a number of years ago, I think it was Chicago was playing Atlanta. So, you know, it was a number of years ago because both teams are in the playoffs and they both suck now. But uh, so <laughs> I counted, I think it was 59 moving screens that weren't called. Jesus. I, I, I don't, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. Um, if I had to guess and that's all this is, it's for money, right? Uh, I mean, what that they want to do no, is. No, I don't think they tell the officials to do that. It's just that the huh. officials don't understand what the rules are and whoever the head of the officials are, I don't know why they don't have these lessons and say, and it's the same thing with the block charge. I have talked to officials ad infinitum. I mean, years and years and years when I see these guys at different events and I try to sit, I try to go and show them how much, how easy it would be to call the block charge when the guy's going to the basket. Now out on the court and something like that, it's maybe a little less difficult, a little more difficult. But when a guy is going to the basket, next time you watch a game, watch this. And I think you'll see, and you say, Oh my God, you know, that's what, just what Rick talked about. Here's the problem. As an offensive player, and I'm driving to the basket and I see an opportunity to get to the basket and go to score. The moment I pick my dribble up, I've picked my dribble up for one reason. I have a clear path to the basket. And once I do that and my momentum is there, I can no longer stop moving forward. So if there is any movement whatsoever by a defensive player, the moment I have picked the ball up into my hands, it has to be a block on the part of the defender. And you watch how many times you see it. The defender, once the guys pick the ball up, there is movement by the defender the majority of the time. And many times they are calling way too many. They're calling a charge on I, the offensive player. I love this passion. More than that, I'm literally going to start a petition when this podcast is done to have you broadcast at least the Houston games from here on out because uh -huh. I want to hear you just torch Harden. And I am sure... <laughs> I would not be alone in that. Um, one last general question before we get to the NBA's return, and this was to both of you guys. Are there players right now who you genuinely speaking enjoy watching? Current players whose yes. games you just like? Current Ooh. players today, yes. I mean, guys that are worth the price of admission. Let's start out with Steph Curry is one of my favorite mm -hmm. players to watch. Why? Like yeah. Because he's so it. much fun to watch. And the guy does stuff. He's I have, Certain guys who play the game, I call them anomalies. Because they play the game at their position differently than anybody's ever played it before. There has never been a guard to play the game, the point guard position, the way Steph Curry plays it. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, I we did one of, one, of our one of our first podcasts was actually doing a list of the, that we called the price of admission. The, the players who you would actually want to spend money on 
to watch, right? And James Harden does not make that list for obvious reasons. So, sure. yeah, yeah. I mean, Steph was the guy that would be at the that. I mean, I I'd love watching. I think you know CP3 is another guy that's fun to watch when he yeah. plays the game. Uh, other than other than the fact that he tries to do a little bit too much at times and do it, but a fun player to watch doing it is Westbrook. I mean, yeah. there's hardly a guy that plays with more. I'm given everything he's got, but it's a little bit too much, you know, which causes some problems. But my God, the guy does some amazing things. I mean, and and we're lucky. I mean, because I can see if I was a if I was a OKC fan and then now Houston fan, I could see watching. I could see the Russell Westbrook experience being equally as frustrating as enjoyable. But from the outside, you know, when we're just watching this game and I, I don't have to live and die with his results, that passion is is pretty fun to watch. So I, I can see where you're coming from. Um, yeah. Cyrus, same list. Who, who speaks to you, man? Well, I mean, I, I think that's one of the appeals of the Warriors, right? I mean, when it comes to the price of admission between Steph, between Clay, even though Draymond's, you don't watch oh, him I love for watching his Clay, too. I put Clay yeah. in that category. Yeah, absolutely. And and even though Draymond, you don't watch him for his offensive skills, he's so animated. You hear him defensively. He makes such an impact that I'd even put him on the list. Yeah. I think people would obviously put Durant on that list. LeBron yeah. for obvious reasons. I think among big men, Joel Embiid is someone I actually have, I have fun watching. Personalities. Giannis, Giannis is Giannis, yeah, on that list. goes without saying. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, he's but like it, proof it, of human evolution. From what I, mean. <laughs> you know, I, I tell you, I tell you, the guy that's fun to watch now that has been a big surprise to me is Donkic. I mean, and then the other guy, yes, is is, is, is Jokic, the Joker. I mean, he's yeah. fun to yes. watch. Yes, yes, and then well, Kawhi Leonard, and then Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi I think. Leonard I mean, fun to watch. He's a what beast. I, yeah. He's, uh, what I love about Jokic, although his size would give it away, but if you introduced him to me and was like, you know, he, this guy is a really tall taxi driver, I wouldn't necessarily question <laughs> well, it. He, he's you know, one like of the guys, he he, you know, he fits into what I call the baby Huey. Uh, <laughs> yes. Syndrome. <laughs> I don't think that's for. I've, I've heard the. Uh, I've heard the <laughs> phrase uh, stretch mark four, and I think that that might apply to him too. Baby Huey to me is, you know, it's like, you know, he, he doesn't have any muscle tone or anything. Like that. I mean, it's like this guy no. isn't spending a whole lot of time in the weight room and everything. And the guy no. that used to be like that all the time that I thought and, and wound up being coming a heck of a player doing it. Uh, and I mean, there's some guys that they, you, they look like Greek gods, a lot of these guys, most of them, right? Sure, I mean, of course. Seriously. So, I mean, but some of the guys, they don't. It just seems like they don't spend a lot of time in the in the weight room. And and today, I don't know why you wouldn't want to do that because the technology that they have and the sophistication of the training is so incredibly far advanced. And this is just another area that Sire and I should talk about. And I'll get back to my my other player. But is that people say, well, you know, well, you guys couldn't play today. I said, do you understand how much better I would be if I played today than I was before? I would be faster, stronger, quicker, more endurance, stronger, jump higher. It'd be unbelievable how much better I would be if I was playing basketball today because of the training and all of the eating. I mean, we used to have freaking steak as our pregame meal. The equipment, Rick. Let's talk about the first player. No, equipment is nothing. Don't help you. There's no equipment. There's no equipment in basketball. Here's here's why I would say that. If in in your area, it's really possible that uh, Steph Curry would have had three years and he was gone. Those ankle injuries, we never Uh, would have seen him again. And and they literally reset. I mean, it was because of modern medical technology and the braces that they created for him. That's not equipment. What do you mean equipment to do stuff? I mean, no. 
treatment, I guess I should say. And, no, and no, uh, the that's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, as far as being able to get over an injury, like for me, I was out for I was out for uh, for six, eight weeks or something with a with a torn <laughs> cartilage. Now they're back playing in seven to ten days. I'm backing you, Rick. I'm agreeing with you. You know, that, no, that's no, exactly that's right. Not, that's not that's not equipment. The basketball has no equipment that helps make you a better player. So you're saying the treatment has improved the treatment, sure. the, yeah. stuff, the medical part of it, the training part right. of it. But nothing, All, there's no equipment. You, what the hell do you do with basketball? You can't do it. No, I don't mean anything. I don't they mean, screwed sh- it up with the new right. the new basketballs they brought out that one time that everybody hated. That they immediately refused to play with. Yes. No, I, I don't mean like the Reebok pumps of the world or the new <laughs> compression pants or the sleeved jerseys or the balls. None of that. What I mean, and I should have added the word, both medical techniques perhaps would have been a better phrase or equipment when it comes to braces. Um, and, and I cut you off. You, you had one more player. Are you going to tell us you enjoyed watching? Oh, no, I have a whole lot of other players that I enjoy, actually enjoy watching. I mean, there's like just, the, like the flat, the flat earther, uh, you know, I, despite the fact that I'm not a fan of him personally, <laughs> uh, Kyrie Irving is, is a phenomenal player to watch. Yeah. I mean, his ball handling skills are among the greatest ever, you know, it's, it's, a. Uh, because there's things that he does that I'd, sometimes I don't necessarily like, but I mean, but he is, he, he could do some amazing things. There's no yeah. question about it. But the guy, the, you know, the, the guy that I was talking about is that didn't look like he was going to become anything because he was baby Yui, one of the baby Yui guys. <laughs> who, who? Kevin Love. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. If when he I, first came in and you saw him playing everything, he didn't even have any muscle tone. You'd have had any definition in his arm. At UCLA, you're a hundred percent right. I've got a lot of friends who are UCLA supporters, and they were furious when he showed up in the league and slowly got himself into shape. Uh, <laughs> you know, for for all the reasons you're saying right now. Yeah, Kevin Love would be a great fit on the Warriors. I, I do wonder where he's going to go. He, he is not staying on Cleveland, and I, I don't know where they're going to trade him to, or if they're just going to let him loose. I would love that man. At some point, we need to talk about who the Warriors are going to pick up next year because I'm reading a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of rumors. By the way, Bram, who who's your on your price of admission list? Anyone we forgot that you want to add? No, we covered them hey, pretty wholeheartedly. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I got a, I got another one for you that I mean, it, you know, I mean, and he's been a pretty, I, I say, a, a nice surprise. I mean, a very nice surprise, to be perfectly honest with you. Who? And well, I mean is Trey Young. Yes. Yeah. I, I selfishly uh, am not a huge fan of his right now just because he's kind of, he kind of throws some shade towards Steph. You know, he, he likes to compare himself to Steph and say he's going to be better. It doesn't matter what point. he's saying. I mean, he's, he's a fun player to watch. No doubt. But as a Steph lover, as a Steph fan, that bothers me. I get defensive. <laughs> you know, I'm a, he's, not, he's not, let's just say he's not Steph Curry. Okay. No, no, he's not. All right. So let's just say, and the other but Trey Young likes to think he is though. fun to watch. fun to watch a new young player is, is John Moran. He's, he's a nice player. Yes. And, 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 the, and a player we, I added on our list back last year was a uh, Jason Tatum. I think Tatum yeah, is emerging Tatum into a nice player. He is. He's emerging as, as, and, and I'm seeing him emulate the style that Jordan and Kobe did in terms of their shot. Uh, there's just that shooting guard motion that that those two players really mastered. I'm seeing Tatum trying to kind of pick that up as well. When Tatum um, looked like he took one step back last year and then two steps forward yes. this year, and we're starting oh, to see this real potential. Um, yeah. But I tell you what, let me ask you about the NBA's return, boys, because it's it's right on the horizon. Uh-huh. We, we now have a plan. We know that 
22 teams are going to be there. We know the, the general approach. Um, and I've got a quote I want to run by both of you and then see whether or not you agree. So USA Today reached out to Shaquille O'Neal. They asked him about the NBA's return. Here's what he said. Quote, I think we should scrap the season. Any team that wins this year, there's an asterisk. They're not going to get the respect. Worry about the safety of the fans and the people. Come back next year. Let me start with you, Rick. Do you agree with them? Do you, do you think no. the NBA should be coming back? No. Uh, yeah, I think, no, I think they should come back. I don't agree with Shaq. And why? Shit, I want to play. Yeah. If you got There's a chance to, to play, who the hell cares? I already experienced what it's like to play with no fans. Hell, in the ABA, I played a game in Houston, Texas. There were more people on the benches and <laughs> the scores table than in the stands. So what the hell difference does it make? Who cares? And and that and they are looking out for the safety of the fans. They're not allowing they the fans to come. And they're going to give the fans something to watch on TV. They don't have really exactly. live sports to watch on TV. So they are doing something for the fans. So I totally disagree with Shaq. Was that was that Shaq quote recent though, Bram, or was that was that a while ago? Um, it was, I think, before they announced the actual plan on how they were going to do it. Okay. Uh, so it's yeah. the last three so years. much more has come out about the virus and everything. It's so overblown. It's such bullshit that really it's it's unbelievable that we shut down our entire country and screwed up our economy and stuff and everything. I, I don't even get started on this one, so I'm going to stop right there. Okay. But to do it, it's ridiculous that we have done this to our country because the the, the, the predictions of what the heck could happen and what it could be were so wrong. It's a joke. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I will say this, this will probably be a mistake, but I really disagree with what you just said. Like, I wholeheartedly disagree. Um, I've got a lot of doctors in my life. My mom has a compromised immune system. Yeah. Um, if, if it was left to hey, me. Hey, wait, 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 wait. I'm not talking about that. We protect the older people. They knew about that. We knew where the disease was. Why you, you took kids out of school? They, how many young kids ever get this virus induced? That what they done it was an overreaction to this, and we should have protected all of the people who were in that situation, the elderly and what have you. And not everybody's going to have that and die from it. I just talked to a friend of mine today who has COP, and he is, and, and he's, and he's in his 80s, up in his 80s, and. And he has health issues and stuff. He actually got the virus, has the virus, but he has antibodies who have fought it off. So figure that one out. So all I'm telling you is that this is an overreaction. If you don't think so, start doing some more research. No, I understand. Really look into this and understand. You're breaking your, you are breaking your rules. We're going. I didn't I talk will. about politics. This is medical. This is medical. This is not politics. This I'll is medical. Funnel my response <laughs> right. through the question. So I, I am worried about the NBA's return. I feel like there's very little knowledge about this disease. I do believe it is a real one. And to assume that we know what its effects are or how it could spread or have any definitive knowledge on it right now this early in its, uh, in its incubation, I feel is false. Um, okay, and then to you need to do some more reading and start looking and reading about some very, very prominent doctors, People in the medical community, I have three of them in my, my family from my wife's side of the family, but people who are way beyond them, who are experts in the field, who have come out and have been so critical of to the extent that we have taken things. And now the reason is because more and more data has come out and the data is proving that the predictions that were made were false and they were nowhere near as dire and it's never going to be as dire as what it was said to be. So but just we, more reading about it. it just, we had, we had it depends we had on what you're reading. But we had a and we we had a shutdown. That's why there wasn't that such a widespread 
destruction health-wise is because no, we I shut things down. Was, I mean, no, wait a second. The thing about it is, is they did, it was an overreaction to what it have. They could have done things. There are other countries who know that anything close to what we did, who haven't had the problems that we've had, who haven't had the diseases. I mean, trust, just, I, I've really looked into this because it just bothers me when things get done. And the problem with it is, is that a lot of this, and I'm not going to get any further than saying this part of it, a lot of it has to do with politics. And I drop it at that. Yes, um, yeah, it is. I, yeah, we, we will. I, we've agreed on so many things. It's fine for us to disagree <laughs> on this one. Um, it is. And um, let me just jump all, in real quick. Let me, let me, if I can jump in real quick and say this, this is a very new virus. There's no such thing as an expert on this, right? Because how can he be? I mean, we, we, we still don't know what this does long term. Every individual is different. Some people like, you know, Rick, that 80 year old you, you referenced come out of this relatively unscathed. I had a student who's 25 years old with no kind of health issues whatsoever who nearly died. It was in the sure. hospital three times and for two months struggled mightily. I, I, don't, I just don't think we can make concrete blanket statements about this thing like anything was done right, anything was done wrong. This is something five to 10 years from now, maybe we can look back on and, and analyze properly. Um, that's it. Yeah, I'm done. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And I'll, I'll tell you what, let me ask you a different question. At the end of this season, there will be an NBA champion. There's no question. And yeah. Shaq, we know his opinion. He used the word asterisk already. Do you think an asterisk should be put on this year's title? There should be an asterisk put on all-star games for the last 20 years or more. <laughs> Why? Why? Explain that for me. It's not even a freaking game. It's a joke. It is bull****. It is, it is a complete joke. That's absolutely right. But but what about this title, man? I mean, because I'll, I'll let no, me... No, the asterisk should be there saying that this was a, yeah. a season that was cut yeah. short on because of the coronavirus, exactly. the pandemic that took place. And it still yep. should take nothing away from the fact that whoever does it is going to have to win games and yes. win their series against right. competition. And they're going to be right. the champion for this shortened season because of the of circumstances outside of their control. I completely agree. I, I, yeah, I think I'm, that... As long as all the teams are facing the same circumstances, which exactly. they are, then the championship is legitimate. But uh, on, it was in all honesty, so you still need an asterisk. Uh, Graham, the, o- the only asterisk I would ever put on any world title is 2016 for the simple reason that Rick's friend, Kiki Vandeway, I'm just I'm saying that in jest, Rick, uh, decided to suspend a star player in the NBA Finals, the only time that has ever happened in any major sports history in the championship round. Of course, it happens to Draymond Green and the Warriors. Makes the entire difference because one intangible that is not (laughs) measurable is momentum. It is a real thing in sports, but you cannot measure it. That decision took all the momentum away from the Warriors, gave it to Cleveland, and I put a damn asterisk on that world title because that was a BS move to take Draymond out. And here's the thing about that, Cyrus. You're streaming down my face right now. I I love (laughs) that take. Yeah, sorry. But here's the thing. He should not have suspended him other than the momentum part of it is that if I were the, looking at the situation, I would have said this circumstance with the Draymond, what Draymond did would never had occurred if the officials hadn't swallowed their damn whistles. Right. Because LeBron James should have been called for a flagrant foul by throwing him down to the court like he did. And that would have prevented Draymond because the officials right. all would have come in. It all would have gotten broken up and it would have been a flagrant foul and nothing would have occurred on Draymond's part. This is exactly right. This is <laughs> and no one and You're no right. one talked about that. Yep. You're right. Uh, Still don't. I'm sorry. Still don't. I'm sorry. One person did me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boys, uh, who will be in the finals this year? What's your prediction? 
Rick, go ahead. I have no idea because it's all going to depend upon how much these guys have really kept themselves in good shape right. and how quickly they're mm. going to get themselves back to be playing at a high level. I think the great thing that they did in the decision made is to at least have some games played so that they can get the rust off a little bit and get themselves back to some semblance of play. And as the playoffs progress, the quality of the play will improve. No question about that in my mind. So it's going to just – it's an unknown. I mean, if there ever was a chance for somebody to come in and do something special, this might be the time. I mean, who knows sure. what's going to happen? But I mean, obviously, if you're going to look at it, you know, the Lakers are looking good, and and Milwaukee from the, you know, if you're going to go from the two different conferences, I mean, those would be the ones that you still, I would think, have to choose right now. But that doesn't mean that that's going to happen. I like that read from. So I, I'll admit to you that I'm occasionally a gambling man. Um, and from a gambling analysis, what you just said about who knows who any of these guys are right now is yeah. really interesting to me. I mean, it's the type of thing where you may want to look at long shot odds. You know, a team like Denver, Utah, or somebody, somebody who, who didn't show up during the regular season, but maybe they kept in shape. That, that's a very interesting uh, concept. Yeah, Bram. Rick and I actually one of the, on a recent podcast we did a segment called Plumped or Pumped referring to which player is going to come back in shape and which player is going to come back out of shape. And this was in reference largely to uh, the 99 season um, when they had the lockout. And we saw a lot of players without the resources that the NBA team yeah, provide. Sean, I remember Sean, Sean Kemp and, like, and, and Vin yeah, Baker. And Vin Baker yeah, was right. another one. Those are, those are two very <laughs> you know, right. strong examples of what happens when players do not have the mentorship. They spent a considerable amount of time not pushing, not pushing themselves away from the dinner table. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And boozing, right? And a lot of drinking, I think, too, one of those players as well. Uh, look, I, I'm a gambling man as well, Bram. And in, the, in this crisis, that that's been one of the great tragedies is that we're stuck at home and we can't bet, right? It's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it drives you mad. So with that said, uh, right now, the Lakers are the favorites to win the world title. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with Rick in terms of the pick for the Western Conference. I'm going to go with what I said in day one during training camp, that the LA Clippers are going to win the Western Conference. And I think this move gives them even more of an advantage because the biggest disadvantage the Clippers had going into the playoffs and going into this hypothetical Western Conference Finals matchup against the Lakers was that they had no home court advantage, right? All seven games, if they go seven, we're going to be at the Staples Center. And regardless of who technically has home court in that, in that arena, the Lakers had the advantage. We saw that even in those regular season matchups when the Clippers technically were home, the crowd was overwhelmingly rooting yeah. for LeBron and the Lakers, right? That's gone. They don't have that advantage anymore. Now they're on a neutral court in Florida. And I'm sorry, but I still think the best player on the planet right now is not LeBron James, is not Giannis. It is Kawhi Leonard, the man who single-handedly won a world championship. No disrespect to the other players on that Toronto Raptors team. Uh, Pascal Siakam is, for example, is a great player now. But we, we criticize and we talk a lot about how star players, in many cases, need a strong supporting cast to win a title, right? Kawhi Leonard did not have that strong supporting cast, relatively speaking, and he still won. Now, granted, Durant was out. Klay Thompson got knocked out, but still, yeah. he got that ring. They beat the JV team. Against oh, the JV team, that is true. So with that said, and given the fact we've seen three matchups this year between the Lakers and Clippers, I, that was enough of a sample size for me to say that I think the Clippers are the team to beat and are going to win the Western Conference uh, and win the world title. Cyrus, I, you know I love you. I know I love you. <laughs> I love you too, man. You're off the deep end on this one. Oh, no. Why? Why? I mean, 
seriously. <laughs> I mean, to have to be that adamant about the fact that you think the Clippers are that much better and all of this other stuff that you're talking about. I mean, and Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi Leonard didn't single-handedly carry his team to a championship. He played terrifically there. He did. He was outstanding. But he had a lot of other players who played exceptionally well. And he, he had did. a nice supporting cast. I mean, he come did. on. The guy, I mean, please. I mean, but this, out of his I, mean so, I mean, don't don't blow him up into being, you know, I mean, he's a hell of a player. I like him. I like I love the way he goes about his business. It's not all about him. It's just get the job done. Do it. He's not there beating on his chest and do all the other guys do. And that's yes. what I really love about him. Love him like about said, that. Yeah. I mean, really love that about him. But here's another factor that has to be taken into consideration. And this is something that nobody has an answer to. OK. And nobody's probably ever talked about it. OK. How many of these guys are going to be able to play at their highest level without the crowd? Hmm. Rise up. This is a yeah. big, serious question. Crowd, there is no question. I know for a fact that when you get a crowd going, it helps you. That's why the home court is a great thing for you in so many situations because it gets a little more adrenaline. I mean, it's pumped up your arm. The crowd's going nuts and you're getting into it and everything. That factor is going to be gone. So which teams have the quality of player who sure. can motivate themselves to play at that super high level? Even those players may never get to the point that they could get to without those fans cheering for them. Sure. That's going to be the interesting thing. I, I agree with you, Rick, and I'll try to put all those points together with why. So I've got the Bucks there, much like all three of us, but yeah. I also have the Lakers. And the reason being is LeBron specifically. But let me try to incorporate what you were saying. And, and first, let me add, I feel like LeBron, more so than maybe any other player before him, is really aware of his legacy as it's yes. being developed. And I feel like he understands that it's coming to a close, that father time remains undefeated, and that there's not a whole lot of seasons ahead of him where he can play at this level and be the best player on a championship team. Because of that, his motivation won't come from the fans behind him. I feel like he is going to play like the world depends on it. And it pains me to say it. I'm not a Laker guy. I hate the Lakers. I'm not a LeBron guy. I hate LeBron. But but I do believe that that kind of motivation is going to push them. In the it's exactly what I'm talking about. And you're absolutely right in your, your evaluation of him. And I do agree with you. I think that he is going to be one of those players that it doesn't matter if there's no one or whoever is there, it wouldn't matter for yeah. LeBron at this stage. I think that's a terrific, uh, terrific evaluation on your part as to the cir circumstances that will exist for him. So you're absolutely correct. May, so I, may I jump? Many, may I jump? How many guys can do that? How many are going many. to do it? Yeah, not many. May, um, may I jump in real quick though and say this? When is the last time you could remember LeBron James actually beating Kawhi Leonard? Like actually. Owning him, like in terms of a one-on-one. -on -one. James against Kawhi Leonard. Cyrus, I get it. Please. It's a team freaking game. I get it. I well, get it. And but you fair, need. <clears throat> but the reason why we don't have that memory, Cyrus, is because Kawhi never put himself into the finals against LeBron. Except you know? in 2013 and 14. Well, they actually did. And since and since 2014. But can't Kawhi, we use this against you? Can't we say that the fact that, he, that there's no memories that specifically involve Kawhi and all of them specifically involve LeBron, doesn't that suggest to you that LeBron's game is a lot what more uh, dominant than twice? No, I, I, I again, I, I look at their head to heads. I've seen it regular season, and I again, I go back seven years. In nearly every head to head matchup, Kawhi has the advantage. Whether it's his team winning, whether it is, I don't know if it's stats. I think scoring, he might have a slight edge. I, to me, Kawhi is the best player in the game. 
And this is a superstar-driven game. It is a team sport, but there's only five players Cyrus, on that on that court. My golden rule, Cyrus. I know, but this is there not is the no NFL. Such thing as the best player <laughs> in a team sport, he's the best player at his position. So stop with this because you're driving me nuts. If we Rick. had the music, we could be playing it right now. Rick, I'll tell you this: the 1975 Warriors are not winning that championship without you. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, but we're not going to win the championship without my teammates and what they did. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure you can swap a lot of your teammates that year. You'd still hey, win. The bottom line is <laughs> that we won because we were a team and my teammates I don't, did what they had to do to help us get there. Without my teammates, we don't even get to the finals. You're right. I, you look back at those. My memory you're right. of the 2019 Here's the other thing about loss. LeBron. So let's, let's, let's really get into this since we're starting to go ahead and bring this in and you're trying to go ahead and analyze it and, and dissect it. Get him, Rick. Go <laughs> get him, Rick. No, no. Here's the deal. When's the last time Kawhi Leonard had 10 assists in a game? Oh, I don't know. No, LeBron's a better passer. I'm not arguing with you on that. Okay, he's a well, much better passer. guy that if he's into the game is going to help his teammates to rise to an occasion and do more on in various aspects of the game? I, as much as I love Kawhi doing it, LeBron does more than Kawhi does to help make his teammates better. I mean, yes. defense is the only area of the game where you could probably say objectively Kawhi's better. LeBron's a better scorer. And, and, he's a better and, rebounder. He's a better and clutch. And clutch How scoring. can you say that? How can you say that? He, he doesn't have the amount of titles nor game the amount of, of, of the finals. First of all, they only have a one. They only have one ring difference between the two. And secondly, the 76er series last year when Kawhi hit that game seven. One shot, Cyrus. I know, but you asked me. You asked me. Give me an example. I just gave you one. That's that's an example. This is a pretty big example. It's very you know, rare it's for game seven winners to go in game of basketball. And 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 unfortunately for for Clippers and stuff. I mean, and maybe they'll win. I don't know. But the bottom line is is that LeBron does more to help his team rise to the occasion. He's an amazing player. Kawhi's a great player. Love Kawhi as well. But if I were a betting person, who was going to have the chance to do more for them? I think LeBron is the guy that can get it done. And he also has another guy playing with him. And as much as George is a terrific player and doing stuff, Anthony yeah. Davis is not exactly chopped liver. Yeah, <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yeah, There's no disagreement. I keep waiting for him to get hurt because that's been his legacy, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen this year. Um, let me give you guys my final question, but it's the one I'm most nervous about, strangely enough. Oh. All right. So over under, right? I'm going to give you guys a number. You tell me if you think it'll be over or under that. My number is uh, one, over under championships. Steph Curry will win in Golden State from here on out. Well, first of all, who the hell are they going to get to play? You know, with the with their draft pick, sure. are they going to keep the draft pick, or are they going to trade the draft pick for somebody else? And it's a matter of what. And Steph is not going to have any control over this whatsoever. It's who does he put get to play right. with on the court? That's what it comes down to. There's a front office question. Cyrus, yep. Cyrus and I have talked about this on our, on our podcast, Warriors Twenty Four, many times. Is that it comes down to three things in team sports. Who do you draft? Who do you get in free agency? Who do you trade for? And then they hope to get a coach that doesn't screw it up. It's all about the personnel. And so Bob Myers and whoever's making their final decisions on personnel have got to put quality people out there. If 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 Kevin Durant had stayed in doing it, man, it's multiple championships these guys would have had a chance to win. But the fact that he's not there, they have to get some other elements to do it. Now they've done it without him being there, okay? Without KD being there, but who are they going to get to bring in? And that's what it is. And that's what happened even when they did certain moves and did it. Who were they bringing in when they got rid of their bench and do it? They did a good job. They brought in some good people. 
I don't know how it's going to work. They'll certainly be much better and more competitive next year, obviously, back into a playoff hunt. But they're certainly not going to be the favorites by any stretch of the imagination. And it's all going to depend upon who, what players they pick up, what they do with that draft pick. And so that's a question you can't, you just don't even know. I mean, it could be zero, very easily be zero that'll ever win another title because titles are not easy to come by. Just, you know, no. ask, ask Charles Barkley about that and ask a whole yes. bunch of other great players who never played on championship teams. Yeah. You know, I, I uh, first of all, I would I would set the OU at a half figure to uh, to make it more tantalizing. So either set the OU at a half or one and a half because one, I don't want to spend on the push. You know, so you think he's um, got another one in him? I think he's got one more in him. I yeah. absolutely do. I think I think they have two more in them. Um, I really do. I, I think I think that organizations. You, you know that the Last Dance documentary was obviously fascinating in so many regards. We all, we all watched that. And, and there was a lot of debates that came out of that. One of those being Jerry Krause, you know, claiming that organizations win championships. And then Jordan came out and said, no, who's, who's actually going out there doing it? And he said, players. And, and you can say they're both right, you know. In the Warriors' case, they actually have a legitimate organization with intelligent decision makers, um, competent decision makers, so I, I am confident that the team is going to surround Stephen Curry with that trade exception they have, with uh, a lot of free agents who veterans who reportedly are ready to jump to the Warriors for next year. There's I think they're they're seeing where the winds are shifting right now. Um, so yeah, I I think one I would say as early as next year, depending on the moves, and maybe uh, two more after that. I, I um, your optimism, and so it, and it kind of it, it deals with what we were seeing earlier, and in some ways, why it was so ridiculous that they booed Joe Lacob. But there was a stretch. I mean, I'm talking a two decade stretch uh -huh. where you knew for certain that the Warriors front office was going to fuck it up. Yes, you know? I mean, you didn't know how, but you knew that they would pick after pick, Todd Fuller after Todd Fuller. We just we stocked the roster with people that were not going to bring back a championship. That stopped. Todd Todd Fuller. You know, I, that's I mean, to me. He's the poster child for every mistake the Warriors made. There, I mean, yeah, God, there's there was so oh, no no no. There's there's a bunch of guys. Who's worse? There's so many title. of them. Yeah, there's so many competing for that title. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Todd, but Todd Fuller was the guy they picked ahead of Kobe. That's what I think Kobe, why he always sure. sticks out. I mean, even uh, people who played out well for us, so Donald Foyle was ahead of T Mac. Yeah. You know, oh, I mean, like they, like they made, oh, they're, they're a, like, we, we just did a, a bad draft podcast. There's a lot of this on my mind, but just to finish <laughs> out the thought yeah. the, that's shifted now, you know, I mean, of course, Rick, you're right. Championships aren't, they don't grow on trees. There's an element of luck that you need as much as skill, but at least we have the skill now. At least we can trust the front office to make competent moves. And because of that, I'll be optimistic. Yeah, but that doesn't mean, see, but that could change overnight. I mean, yeah. nobody stays perfect all the time. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's uh, I mean, that's, that is absolutely. And I'm seeing, and I'm seeing a lot, a lot of people, at least on social media, disgruntled of the fact that did not pan out is now an important decision maker in that in that front office and he was not a part of any of those whoa, 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 championship wait, wait, teams wait, wait, wait a second mike dunleavy jr is working for the warriors he's yeah a, he's assistant gm rick he's in, he's in the that? yeah he's in the front office I now i didn't have, well i see i hadn't been keeping up on things maybe it's because of the coronavirus i, <laughs> we, I went to uh I went seriously to, i, I went where to, how to how the hell maybe i was down in maybe it's, 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 was, there was no rick there was no announcement like was this was Jeff not something last year I, I just Rick showed up to a, a practice last year, and Mike Dunleavy was there. Yeah, they I snuck him in. I'm like, did he sneak in here? Like, how, what the hell they is snuck him in. doing here? 
Um, and so, yes, it's a weird move. It's a they weird snuck move. him in. They yeah. snuck him in. Yeah. Rick, Rick, hey, I, I tell I, you what, though, he was a really nice player. He lasted a long time doing it, and and you know, he was a very complimentary player. That if yes. I were a coach, I would want to have Mike Dunleavy yeah. Jr. on my team. But you know, but to have get picked him as what the second, three. Pick, yeah, yeah, third, three. yeah, third, third, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, but whatever. Hey, you know, like who, who, less, who, he made a lot is, of money. Um, I wonder who the Warriors. Jason Williams is uh, went number one to two. I remember the Warriors needed uh, a center and they needed a point guard. And well, Jay Williams, Jay Williams was a, was another bust too. I mean, that was more injuries in yeah. this case. And I can't stand him on ESPN. By the way, Rick, I got to ask you, uh, what was your relationship with Chris Cohan? By the way, during that disastrous two decades. Yeah. Rick, did you know him? Like, did you communicate met, with him? I, I met him a couple times, talked to him, and said, "Hey, I'd love to be able to help you out." I actually went to him one time, and I think I'm trying to remember the forward that they had. Uh, draw a blank on his name. They wound up actually trading him away. That they paid him a ridiculous amount of money. And he, Daniel Marshall. Danny yes. Fortson. Daniel yeah. Marshall. <laughs> Daniel Marshall. Yeah. Yeah. And that and that led to him, Danny Fortson. Yeah. No. And I said to him, I said, look, why don't you why don't you do that? I would love to be able to help you out. Why don't you hire me as a special coach? Because I knew in my case it would get me my green card. You know that all of a sudden I'm one yes. member of the freaking club. <laughs> and he said, and I will take him under my wing, and I will work with him, and I will help you. I will make him a better basketball player. God, We've got a lot shoot. of money invested in him, and I can make him a better player for you. I'm going to give you guys. And you know what happened? Crickets, Dave right? Pordick, Dave Pordick, who I'd never know, never spent five minutes of my life alone with, said he would just said, I'll be in my I'd rather I'll go to my grave before I ever hire Rick Barry. Uh, I'll give you guys a very random left field Daniel Marshall story, and then I'll get out of your guys' hair. But when he was playing here, I mean Daniel Marshall was part of the uh the Chris Weber backlash, right? It was first Tom Gugliata, and then he turned into Daniel Marshall. His relationship yes. with the fan base. Who turned into Fortson? Who turned okay, into Fortson? Exactly yeah. right. And, and Marshall yes. never really worked out. It wasn't his fault. No. He just wasn't letter. And at the time, I was living over in Oakland, and there's this small market called the Village Market. It's like a little small uh, supermarket. And I was there, and so was Daniel Marshall. And we were both in line, and Danielle was two people ahead of me in line. So there was someone in, uh, in between us. And the guy behind us screams out, hey, Danielle, are you here to buy a heart? And you watch his shoulders oh. slump, and I've never felt worse oh. in any place ever. You know, and it was just like, oh, my God, like, what is that? And it, it summed up the relationship between Danielle and the fan base because he was a good player, but we just he just never had any love here. Just, he was good in college at UConn. He, what, he was the like, number four pick, I think. It, but you're right. He, he just never lived up to that, that high of a pick and the fact that he was – he was supposed to replace Chris Weber. Yeah, and supposed he, to be Chris Weber. But yeah. Donnie, Donnie, he has a weird, um, and we'll get off, uh, Donnie Marshall, what a random player we keep talking about here. <laughs> Donnie Marshall, funny enough, I think holds some sort of record for three-pointers in a game. Like, I think he hit 12 like in a game once that Steph finally broke that record. But it was Donnie Marshall who held it for a long time. It was really I, random. I wish to God Danielle had remembered that at the Village Market and screamed it back. And it was a song. <laughs> you know, that, that, we all would have felt a lot better about the exchange. <laughs> Gentlemen, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you guys lending us this time. And I, I, I thought we were only going to keep it for like 30, 40 minutes. It's been an hour. I'm has sorry it? for oh, that. Has. But, but I, I mean, really, thank you guys. That thank was you. a lot of fun, of course. It was fun. Let's, uh, let's uh, promote social media before we wrap up. How can everyone Yeah, no, everyone? of course. I mean, I was just about to say, I'm, I'm, I'm not alone in thinking that you guys were phenomenal. For everyone who needs more Warriors 24 in their life, more Cyrus, more Rick Barry, where can we find you guys? Well, Rick, Rick, I'll speak on his behalf. Uh, you can follow him on every social media platform at Rick24Barry. 
Uh, want to give Rick a, some love. Uh, have you folks ever gone on Cameo? Have you ever heard of that website? Cameo.com. Yeah. yeah. So, so Rick will send personalized messages on there, which is a phenomenal gift, especially in the COVID area awesome. era. Yeah. Um, and then you can follow uh, the show on Twitter and across all social media platforms at Warriors24Pod. And you can follow me on Twitter at DogSurfRoadShow. And Bram, you could promote away. And this was fun, man. Thank you. Oh, it was our pleasure. If you want to look us up, uh, our Twitter account is at Warriors Huddle. You want to send us any take that I was wrong, right, obnoxious, whatever. <laughs> you can shoot us a uh, an email at our remarkably unprofessional email, warriorshuddle.gmail.com. Um, and the rest of the stuff isn't as important, but it was my pleasure. <laughs> I'm happy to have joined you. And just so you know, we'll finish it off with this. Danielle Marshall is now the coach at Central Connecticut College. Oh, <laughs> Well, hey, Rick, I'm just glad you didn't look up and you turned out to be a mercenary, you know? Oh, so no, I'm no, gonna... speaking of which, speaking of which, no, if we don't mind wrapping up on that, John Brisker, I, I did look him up. Uh, he, Who knows what happened to him because he just disappeared. He I'm just what, vanished. I, I heard that from very reliable sources. He disappeared and he disappeared. He became a mercenary. Yes. He got killed over in Africa. We're what, doing so. like we're doing like a 20-part podcast about him only. Amazing. It's going to be like a 30 for the like we we really need to find out more about this gentleman. Go Warriors, you guys, and uh we'll talk to you. Hey, hey, God bless all of your all of your listeners uh to, you know, hopefully everybody stays healthy and we get back to some semblance of normalcy here. Yeah. And if people are going to protest, please protest peacefully and safe. that's exactly <laughs> right good. safe good. healthy sane the whole nine yards hey, excellent have a great night you guys thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.